Dom and Mark welcome the show's first guests as they discuss the recent Telegram exploits, crypto mining malware, and the recent Victoria Privacy and Security Conference. Stay tuned for episode 12 of the Two Drop Tables and a Microphone podcast. You are listening to Two Drop Tables and a Microphone, an information security podcast with a Canadian perspective and the only tech podcast with a three-drink minimum. We are the place for information security news and how it affects you as either a security professional or a general consumer. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and our guests are solely their own and do not reflect the views and opinions of their members, past or present. So, welcome everyone to our 12th podcast, our actually our second one of the year, and uh, yeah, uh, it's great to be in 2018, a lot more interesting things happening now, so uh, let's get to it. We should uh, introduce everybody. Ah, yes, that's right. Okay, okay, so let's uh, introduce, I got Mark. Yep, that's me. And Jerry, we have a new guest, new person on the show. Take it away, Jerry. Ahoy, everyone. Um yeah, I will be adding some Eastern European flair to the conversation today, <laughs> because uh, in Soviet Russia, we always do things differently. Oh, exactly. Like Bitcoin mining. You know, in Soviet Russia, Bitcoin mine you. <laughs> well, it can put you in mine, literally, <laughs> this time, as uh, we will talk about one of our topics here. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so first topic of the the cast today is about uh, the let's check here I have a list I've been reading through all the documentation here exploits and botnets now the thing about this is that uh, botnets are becoming more and more ubiquitous because of things like uh, internet of things devices uh, a lot more device uh, phones out there computers uh and the world is becoming more and more connected. So, and we'll get to the second topic, which, you know, the more computers you get, the more cryptocurrency you can mine. So anyway, uh, the thing about botnets is that it's really not something, I mean, they are they're becoming more and more ubiquitous as they're going to become more, uh, used out there by the good guys and the bad guys. So, like, I'm looking at uh, Telegram, for example. Telegram is not just a chat app. It's a actual botnet framework that you can download, install into your Linux box, and create your own botnets at the drop of a hat. Now, this has been used uh, to target... Uh, this framework has been used to target... Uh, IOT devices, and it has been used to. So, what do you think, guys? What do you think about this? Like, I think this is this is one of our predictions uh, last episode that the more uh, that we would see a quicker time uh, from exploits to be released to them being used to mine crypto. Um, <clears throat> the Telegram one's interesting. Uh, it's one of those sort of flaws where I. You know, is it a huge Telegram problem? If you look at what was happening there, so they're sending you a file uh, that's actually named with a bunch of, you know, encoded uh, gibberish in the file name. 
but Telegram doesn't display any of those Unicode characters, so it looks like it's just you know a PNG file when really it's a JavaScript file. Yeah, that's uh, which is which is to. interesting for Telegram, and I wouldn't be surprised if other applications did the same sort of thing where they're not having it, um, you know, they're not displaying some of these weird Unicode characters. But it, this one is one of those where you just can't really protect users from themselves. If you look at the article and. You can see this live too. There's a couple of YouTube videos where people are showing it. You click what looks like a PNG. You get a pop up that tells you, you know, its name is all these funky characters, and then JavaScript dot PNG sort of file. So it seems weird to me that people would be clicking on it. Like when you get, it's one of those windows like open file security warning box. It has a little. We might recognize it. Maybe most computer users wouldn't recognize it, but the little script. You know, icon even like you know that's a script. Like, why would this be popping well, up? But people well, are just like, yes. Run. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because um, I think like when I was when I read that article, uh, <laughs> I didn't even know that there was such a thing as right to left overwrite Unicode uh, character, which basically allows you to switch text. Um, a block of text, and and uh, you have a segment in it that can be uh, in uh, um, in a language or in an alphabet that is right to left, right? And it's only that block of text that is um, switched to right to left, and um, that's actually the vulnerability, right? And uh, what it looks like is that at the source, when you send that file. Because is uh, .js, it will send the content type to be a JavaScript file. But then, as Telegram consumes it and it encounters this special character in the, in the the special Unicode character in the file name, it actually switches the characters around and it stops being a JS and becomes uh, a PNG. So it. It is kind of similar to um, uh, when you have um, um, a file upload to, to to a website where you would put um, um, a null byte or something in the upload, and and you can uh, uh, basically send a PHP file and pretend that it's a TXT file, right? Yep. Mm. It's interesting, though. Like I, I look at this and see that um, this would have to be—you'd have to have a sucker on the other end if you're the attacker mm -hmm. and uh, to actually click on the file. So it's really no different than any other um, phishing attack, like having a JavaScript uh, encoded. Uh, let me rephrase this: like a. Uh, a P a PDF file with JavaScript embedded in it, and it's it's just this same kind of thing. So it's really no different than anything else. But uh, yeah, well, uh, basically, you can't patch the user, right? So that's no, exactly. <laughs> you know what they say? What was it? Pepcac? A problem exists between the keyboard and chair. Right, exactly. So there's definitely a problem with Telegram. Like it should be showing you what the actual file name is and not ignoring all those right-to-left Unicode, uh, overwrite Unicode characters. But still, even if you sent a bunch of gibberish with dot, you know, mpeg dot exe and said, oh, here's a picture of the kids, grandma. Like 
she's still going to click on it. Mm. Yep. And people don't know, like this just came out. So you're going to get a lot of hits. What's interesting is this has been seen in the wild since March, 2017. And multiple parties have been using this primarily. Yeah, people are using it to install uh, cryptocurrency mining stuff for Monero and Zcash and the mm-hmm. ones that you can still mine with a CPU like somewhat effectively if you have enough people. Um, but there's lots of other uh, occasions where investigating Kaspersky has found that they're taking all of the local cash for Telegram. So there might be like messengers you're sending other people in there. Why someone would want those, I don't know. And then also people are installing um, the back doors and using the Telegram API, the Telegram bots, just like Slack has chat bots and and so does Discord and so does Irk. You can use bots to do all sorts of things. So now they've used Telegram's bot API to uh, be a command and control Mm-hmm. protocol oh, so yeah, that they absolutely. can through that bot talk to everyone that they've owned through telegram the other thing too is i mean telegram is pretty much uh, a more colorful version of uh, irc where you you could send command control to a bot that uh, you built uh, uh, in the course of uh, say many months that uh, using this uh, relatively new exploit or old exploits because people seem to still fall for those. Oh yeah, look, a PDF file on my attachment that, from an email that I have no idea where I came from. Oh, click on that, you know, and poof, right? You have yourself a, a crypto miner or a, or you become part of a botnet to send spam to other people out there or other victims, you know, <laughs> depending on how you define that, right? But every test, uh, every test and study that I've seen and every uh, phishing campaign that I've been, you know, testing that I've been a part of, it's always at best 10% of the users are still clicking on it. And that's in an enterprise. Like just Joe Public... It's probably way higher than that. It's pretty oh, scary yeah, how many people. So, uh, I would expect Telegram's user based because it was you sold like a secure messaging platform to be a bit more savvy than the average user. But maybe Telegram's become so popular over the last couple of years that that's not the case. Well, what if you have Discord, right? Like uh, Discord's become more popular. You have other uh, chat apps out there. Uh, Snapchat, for example, or well, Snapchat's not really a chat app. That's more that's of for image showing people pictures of your junk. I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's uh, you anything. know this this kind of thing. Like I I was just uh, browsing some stories, and um, there was another one from just uh, three days ago where a single character message can crash any Apple iPhone, iPad, or Mac. It's, um, it's <laughs> yeah, some Indian me, yeah. alphabet thing, right? So so this kind of Unicode um, injection technique, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, most... Uh, coming from a software development background, most uh, applications don't test against French... Case, fr- fringe cases like this, right? So you don't really know what will happen if somebody enters uh, some really obscure Unicode character. 
that one was pretty crazy. That works mm. on iOS and Mac OS and, yep. and a bunch of different platforms. Like mm-hmm. if you did it in Slack or a bunch of other apps, uh, that app would crash basically. Hmm. Pretty, pretty crazy. It is. And, but it seems to affect mostly Apple devices and but uh, I don't know if you have an Android device, you should be okay. But at the same time, it's uh, what else is out there? What right. else can well, you and, do? Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's not this particular Unicode, but maybe others, exactly. um, like, like the one we've seen with Telegram, where basically you, the, the trouble with Unicode is that it, the, the character set is just too huge. And, um, you know, you can have combinations of uh, things, right? And how do you test all the possibilities in your app? Well, if you have a lot of time, you can do it (laughs) yourself or you create a script and just hit it. Even scripting it, it's probably infinite. Oh, yeah. It'll take a long time to figure that out. (laughs) All right. Um... Well, this leads up to our next topic on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency mining. Uh, This is just one aspect of what bots can do. Bots can do many things. uh, And uh, actually, I should say botnets, but uh, I think you get the point. Uh, The cryptocurrency mining is uh, becoming a more, more, it's becoming greater. More and more people are doing it because the value of cryptocurrency has increased dramatically in the last year. So, so guess what people are doing? You know, they're setting up their own mining rigs or creating botnets to you. There's other people uh, to mine cryptocurrencies or other people's computers, not other people. <laughs> well, um, and, um, even uh, nuclear power, like computers from nuclear power plants, uh, apparently. There was a bunch of people in Russia that were arrested for using a computer in a nuclear power plant. Actually, it's, a, it's better. It's a nuclear weapon oh, facility. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even, a power, it, it's not it's even a like a power yeah. utility, right? Yeah, Sarov. Yeah, that's where they made the first nuclear bomb, or at least it was the Russians did made their first nuclear bomb and uh yeah they had a computer what was it one petaflop that uh that they were using it was a one petaflops uh supercomputer that they were using to mine cryptocurrency uh it turns out uh, they got caught <laughs> so was that one where they found the crypto mining thing and they didn't know it was internal people who were doing it until they saw them yeah well actually they the, the, the thing that struck me really kind of funny and exactly in the vein of the in Soviet Russia line of jokes <laughs> is that the the whole facility is supposed to be cut off from the internet and they got caught when they tried to connect the lab supercomputer to the internet right so you are thinking about like how dumb are these <laughs> nuclear engineers? You know? <laughs> well, you got always uh, some dumb people out there that would uh, hey, think we'll do this, and they don't realize that it is a highly secure installation for a very good reason. You'd think that a really dumb 
nuclear engineer would still be smarter than the average bear, though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. but still. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was pretty crazy. I think that um, I'm certain there's lots of other sysadmins using servers and, and enterprise workstations to mine crypto. I'm sure it's happening, and I'm sure we're going to pop see this pop up more and more. Oh, yeah, That, absolutely. like, oh, some guy at some city, you know, or whatever, some L.A. I'm county sysadmin was doing it. This. Yeah, I'm sure it's happening. It's probably been happening for multiple years. I remember um, hearing about people using, like, multi-GPU systems that were being used for uh, rendering and math calculations for crypto mining so that the engineers would be using them in the day and then the sysadmins would be using those rigs at night to mine crypto. Hmm. And wouldn't you think that uh, small like, uh, private companies who own nuclear power plants are probably thinking, hmm, maybe we could use our, uh, our Slack time, for example, to mine cryptocurrency, thus increasing our profits. I mean, uh, let's say BC Hydro, like they have, say, supercomputers that, uh, that at certain times of the day aren't going to be using them. There's, there's, that's like the lowest low point for, them, uh, for their computer usage. Someone's just going to have to do the math to figure out if it's actually viable or not, exactly, right? It causes yeah. a lot of burn-in and, and can yeah. cause damage to components. So, But still, if you blow up a few computers but you make a few BTC out of it, who cares really? And, and yeah, then there is business. another thing that it could actually be used to imagine you have um, the pricing uh, based on uh, supply and demand. And uh, if they consume the power artificially, they could actually jack up the price on, the, on whatever trading platform there is on, on the energy exchange, right? I'm kind of like talking out of my ass here, having a third glass of wine, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, well, hey, you know what? It could help the ICBC to get out of the... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true, right? They got billions of dollars to get out of this hole. (laughs) I think unless you're doing it with GPUs, particularly if you're doing it with CPUs, it's not effective for the cost per... Um, electricity bill, yep. but they're not. You know, what if a hacker's assuming control of your network, or if your sysadmin's doing it and he's not paying the power bill, then it's all free money. Even though it's just a little bit of money, it's all free money. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was mining crypto here at my house, it was a constant race to find crypto where the difficulty was low enough, but the either cost currently or the expected cost in the future of the crypto I was mining would be enough to cover the hydro. And you're sort of, for the coins that increase in difficulty every so many blocks, um, when they adjust their algorithm, like, you know, Bitcoin, for example, and, you know, Dogecoin, all those other ones that were popular in the beginning to mine, uh, it just became this constant race for ROI fighting difficulty, let alone uh, the cost of the hydro. That's why I eventually just scrapped it and just took the money that I got from that and just invested in, in crypto itself like a stock market sort of day traded that way rather than mining. You do invest a ton of money in mining. There's there's tons of rackets. The people who where you would buy like the purpose built ASIC mining rigs, they build them, they run them for three months. They take the bulk of that ROI time that you should have had. They take all that coin they mined and then they sell them. 
so the area you're, you're already behind because the they curve. are in demand they sell them in like three times the price right that yeah. that you would get it from from directly from manufacturer but then you are on a waiting list and you have to wait three months to get one one of the things too is interesting in the in these articles for this cryptocurrency mining topic and it's something that's sort of like hitting home with me this week is um I'm seeing more often websites that are using visitor machines for crypto mining with that, yeah, like crypto jacking that. Yeah, and stuff like that. They're doing that a lot these days. Like they are, uh, that's increasing exponentially. Like you could be visiting a site that had XSS uh, or the site is actually actively doing that, that they're yeah. putting, that they're using your computer to mine cryptocurrency. Yeah, lots of government sites have got yeah. hacked. Uh, Asia got hit. Asian countries have been hit really hard by this, so that government websites will be taken over, and then crypto mining JavaScript being put on there that's launched on the users' machines. But I'm actually seeing it. I was in um, the AV console and the manager this week a couple times um, working on a security incident, and I was seeing in there in the logs that there are many of the same user getting over and over again hit by, and the AV is catching it, but still it's like they're getting these coin mining JavaScript things like over and over, like, you know, every day there's three or four uh, that are getting caught in our enterprise. So, and I've talked to some of these users and they're like, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to the same places I go all the time. I'm not doing anything bad. I'm not going to like weird places. I'm just reading news articles and going to the same places I always do. So I don't know how I'm getting it. Uh, so it's one of the things I'm having my team investigate further to see like which sites there are. And maybe there's some whole scale domains we can block at the firewall so we don't have to have the AV keep popping all the time catching these. But it's pretty scary, uh, particularly that these are happening. Uh, Android machines, Android malware Um you're gonna happen. That mines crypto is spreading hugely rapidly. It's blowing. It it's literally me. blowing up people's phones because it's running the CPU on the Android devices so hot that the battery is just getting warmer and warmer and warmer. And people are like, oh my god, my phone's like almost on fire in my pocket. What's happening with it? And it's mining crypto all the time. And it's gonna be more of a problem in the future because uh, it's not. Uh, it's not gonna go in any way uh, anytime soon. So you think it's like I think about this like uh, thinking it's going to be just as common as tracking cookies, you know? Like uh, I always saw tracking cookies when I was managing AV uh, in my past life, and yeah, I can see this being just as common. Like everybody's going to be doing this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's going to have to be a lot more people running, you know, no script and you know JavaScript yep. blocking plugins yeah. and stuff, which sucks if like you know you can't use like an Ajaxy, you know, web 2.0, 3.0 application without JavaScript, but mm -hmm. you just have to be really choosy where you enable it. And it's sort of like how I deal with well, ad JavaScript blockers, right? will have to be all inlined in the HTML, which will make the, the loading times huge, right? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing can be cached. Well, and then you have uh, meltdown specter patches on top of this. Yeah, your machines are gonna yeah going yeah combine it with. <laughs> hey, well, maybe we live in interesting yeah. times, right? That's right. Um, there was um, I saw an article about um, which site was this? Um, I forgot, but. Uh, uh, 
if you have like ad blocking turned on, um, it would give you a pop-up and say, we've noticed that you block the ads. You can either turn them on or you can, as an alternative, uh, allow us to mine cryptocurrency on your computer. So then, of course, your machine goes crazy in overdrive. Where was I? Where was that? I've seen that before, like posted on the web, but haven't seen it myself. Um, most of the time, what I see is you're running ad block, and then they detect you're running ad block, and then they complain and like put up a thing saying, "Oh, we're stopping you from reading this content because it costs us money to produce this," you know. And then I just go to ad block and I block the JavaScript that does that, mm. and then reload the page. Yeah. Um, it might, it might block the people who are just you know like my mom who always say always run always run ad block but salon yeah. is salon. offering to mine yeah. crypto really yeah unless if you get wow a, i wouldn't let my computer mine crypto unless if i get a cut <laughs> i mean it's my process right exactly right? <laughs> yeah so it's uh i should block the ability for any program to mine crypto out of my computer unless if i specifically ask or specifically allow it. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cheeky, I think, especially for somebody as high profile as Salon to be like, oh, will you let us mine crypto on your machine then? It's like, no. 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 Are you going to give me a cut of profits? The Maybe time that you're on the page, unless you're browsing it for a long period of time, they probably won't make anything anyway. But yeah. a lot of them I've heard, I haven't seen one in a while, but a lot of them I've heard um, can stay resident and keep mining even though you know you have your browser closed yeah that's the worst makes it very a lot more difficult to remove but i could see you know uh organized crime or individuals being more insidious with this uh like clickjacking attack or um malvertising they call it just like uh put a banner in there and uh even though the site isn't doing it the ad banner very well could be installing this. Right. If you do, if you use a malvertising campaign and you install a banking uh, credential Trojan, once you start stealing people's money, they know you're doing it, right? And that person finds out. Whereas if you're mining crypto, yeah, you make money a lot slower, but it's legit money. No one knows where it's going and no one knows that it's happening. Me, if for, if it's up to me, nobody is going to mine mach- on uh, cryptocurrency from my machine unless if I specifically give them permission to do that. Right, but unless it's a JavaScript that your AV engine knows about, or the heuristics catch it, you wouldn't know hmm. unless you're blocking JavaScript completely and you're just allowing, you know, what you want to run. Which I used to browse the web like that a lot, but it's just not really possible. It's, yeah, it's it's getting harder and harder. It makes you wonder about how successful the new Brave browser will be because it uh, I, a lot of sites that I have gone on with it just wouldn't work. Really? I've been using Brave uh, quite a bit. Uh, I haven't seen much of a problem. Try the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> like our website? Yep. <laughs> Does it work in Brave? Nope. Nice. Nice. No, I have not checked my own website in Brave. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my excuse at work is 
I don't run Windows. I can't use IE or Edge. You guys have to test that stuff. <laughs> I only use the, the Mac OS and Linux browsers. <laughs> <laughs> Probably safer that way. Yeah. Yeah, just send him all those Unicode things to his Mac. <laughs> I saw, I know we're going back to an old topic, it just reminded me, I saw on a Reddit post, I think it was R Hacking or one of them, someone posted a thread that had just like all those characters in the title and goes, oh, did that work? Sorry, guys. <laughs> did any of these ones work too? And someone's like, all right, that's enough. <laughs> all right, so let's move on to... Um... The Privacy and Security Conference that happened last week uh, here in Victoria. Pretty interesting one, actually. Uh, more philosophical than anything, I found. Like with the uh, artificial intelligence discussions. Uh, uh, discussion. And uh, it was, uh, they had more uh, low-level, uh, low more actual in-the-guts uh, kind of thing, which is what interests us. So I was actually happy to see that, especially that IBM uh, X-Force Red presentation. Uh, what did you guys think about that? I, I, was, I really uh, liked it. I, I think I, yeah, I, I, used to, I used to skip the Wednesday all the time. And the last few years, the Wednesday has been like the best day of the conference for me. It's one of the only days that I'm there start to finish and, and um, where I don't want to, you know, well, there's nothing, there's no talks on I like right now. I'll just go mull about in the hall, which is good. Like I get a lot of networking and I meet a lot of people and, you know, get a lot of ideas, you know, around some of the problems that we're all facing and that, and, and the networking stuff is good, but the Wednesdays are excellent. Like I think, um, the hacker challenge sort of stuff, I think I'll do that next year. I'm kind of hoping one gets a little bit more difficult, uh, but I think it's really good, for, especially for the people who go to the privacy security conference who are a little more privacy-minded, to sort of see how some of these things work and play with some stuff. Yeah, the, more, the less uh, technically inclined people, like, uh, it would be good for them to see that, and which is good because uh, they, the, they are look, uh, seeing that. But um, for, I, I think, uh, the, the, especially the hacker, hacking workshop, uh, I found it to be... Me personally, it was uh, way too basic. Uh, like I could see in the morning having a very basic course for the non for the non technically inclined, but then I'd really like to see a more advanced one, uh, the afternoon one. It, that was the only thing I found I didn't like. I'm not sure. I think the the idea of um, making one basic and making one advance is a good one, but then where do you set the bar, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you are doing PWK, so... <laughs> I've been very busy with that. That's, very that's basically you are at a level where most of these uh, kind of um, public outreach sessions will be below the level that you would find interesting or challenging enough you know what i mean mm -hmm. uh, and they have to uh, present this to the to the audience of the conference which is mostly not as technical as we are mm -hmm. so i was um i just popped in um uh, to the 
morning session and I thought it was really well done for the for the non-technical people. Um, last year I went there too and um, there was this lady just uh, sitting there sitting there all by herself. She had no team buddies so I volunteered to help her out. She turned out to be uh, some lawyer from Ottawa. Um, from but that was I last year, wasn't it? Yeah, last I year. I remember that. And this year, um, my wife took it, and um, she had a lawyer on her team. So I found it interesting that you know these kind of people are <laughs> um, taking interest in uh, the more um, technical or more um, hands-on activities. I, and I think it's great. I think we need more of that. Exactly, because if Think about it. Like uh, I remember hearing uh, judges, uh, they had no idea, they have no technological experience or knowledge whatsoever. Like there was a case where um, there was a, a discussion on what should be returned, what should be kept as evidence. And uh, they had one hard drive and the judge went, okay. Um, and then and from what he read, he said, yeah, you got okay. You can keep the C drive, but you got to give back the F drive. And then, uh, <laughs> and then uh, they, they said, uh, "No, that doesn't work like that." No, so no, you got to give them back the F drive. No, they're the both drives are on the same physical device, and right, it took a right. long time to explain. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Funny. I was just. Um... I've had this book for a while, but uh, now that I'm uh, I, I'm on some time off, uh, I started reading it again. Bruce Schneier, Secrets and Lies. Have oh, you yeah, read that book? Yes, excellent book. book. Excellent book. And he actually talks about these different kind of attacks, like the publicity attacks and the legal attacks, where basically like what's you can now? use the ignorance of the judge or the jury to your advantage, mm -hmm. you know, by, by carefully crafting your either defense or prosecution depends on what side you are, right? Yeah, look what happened to, uh, I know it's a long time ago, <clears throat> and things have come a bit further along with technology and, and you know, judges' grasp of it, but uh, Kevin Mitnick, mm -hmm. where he was, he should have been let out on his own recognizance. But yeah, absolutely. The, the prosecutor was like, no, well, like this, if this, guy, this guy can launch a nuclear device by whistling into a telephone, which is absolute <laughs> bullshit. And they were just like, what? Okay, solitary then. <laughs> that was unfortunate. I mean, there is ignorance at its, at its worst. Well, um, back to the conference, um, uh, there was uh, this interesting workshop I took on uh, Wednesday as well. The um, oh, which one was it? Um, basically, the assessment of your security posture, right? They had uh, yeah, how the how the eighty twenty can improve your posture, and they had little. Um, they were run by people from BC government. And yeah. uh, they had oh, little yeah, base, uh, defensible work, security. Yeah, yeah that was Gary's defensible, defensible security. security. It was great. Yeah. It, it it was really, um, you know, a lot of the, lot of the kind of abstract talks uh, about this or that were really put in context, and you could apply the actual 
um, control objective to evaluate how well your organization meets that. That, that was really interesting. I really like that. Yeah, that defensible security is uh, one of the standards that uh, we're aligning to right now. One of the few. Oh, and they're but going around because every ministry trying to figure out what our security posture is right now and applying these uh, or helping us to apply defensible security uh, standards and whatnot. And it's something that needs to be done. If you can cover just the basics, you just solved 80% of your problems right there. Yeah. Yeah. I will add a link to all the information on the BC government defensible security uh, in the show notes. Because it's not just for government. Any organization can use it. And it's similar. I sort of liken it to the um, CSC top five. There are different items on both lists, but it's sort of um, where the top five, like there's 20 CIS, CSC controls, and they're sort of ordered in um, order of importance. And most people will take the top five. And uh, CIS says that if you do the top five, that's about 80 85% of the attacks will be mitigated. Um, so we align to that standard. We also use the uh, government defensible security standard because it's sector-based. I think it's important to use like a, a wider standard like NIST or CIS or ISO or something, but also to focus on your sector if there is one. Um, that was designed with a lot of input from people who work in the public sector, and they see things. They have people have different motivations for attacking those targets and they have, you know, these different needs for serving clients that a businesses don't necessarily have. So I think if you're working in the public sector at all, uh, you should definitely take a look at that, but it's, it's, it's easy. Like it's not terribly difficult. Right. I like the way that it's laid out with like, okay, these are hygiene items. Yeah, you know, it has a little picture simple. of someone yeah. washing their hands, right? If you're not doing the hygiene items, you're probably already sick and you don't know. <laughs> Huh, right then, there's then there's compliance, and you're not. I like the whole premise is you're not in a defensible position until you have those nailed, and you're looking at risk. If you're not doing risk assessments, you're not doing security. Well, it's basic, right? I mean, it, it shouldn't be difficult to imp- implement this. It's uh, if you like if you implement this, you're you're pretty much good to go, and then you can focus on what you really need to protect your system, how would you need to protect your systems, like certain aspects of it. But if you got, if you got the hygiene level controls down and you, you got it solid, then it makes it easier to, to uh, defend your systems. Like it's much easier. The, the thing is, is it's uh, I don't see a lot of uh, organizations doing it. Uh, we in the public sector are doing this, uh, but I, I see a lot of uh, small to medium-sized businesses. They, they're not even close. Well, you know, the, 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 there are so many issues. I mean, we could be here all night and I could just start talking now and <laughs> never stop. Um, uh, small and medium businesses have uh, relatively much larger overhead when it comes to these things. You know, then like large large corporations or the government, right? Uh, I mean, you can have, um, in the government, you can have, I don't know, 100 people working on something like this, and then, you know, they develop templates, and then they just um, run one-hour or two-hour session for um, the 
appropriate people to give them a workshop and it kind of propagates from their own, right? But in a small business, it's like you don't have the resources and the time to do anything like that. So unless you are really um, conscious of the security problem and you actively seek it out, like seek out the information and, and it's not going to happen, right? And the other thing, um, it's kind of a, a catch-22 um, because we are chasing a moving target and with hygiene, you know, the, the term hygiene is used more and more and I really like it because it um, really represents a kind of... Um, a set of behaviors, right? And when you take it back to like 100 years ago, when people didn't know that simply by washing their hands, they could stop spread of most diseases. You know, today we teach this to kids in kindergarten, right? And we are not doing that with cybersecurity, you know, the public school system, they kind of talk about, uh, you know, cyberbullying and cyberstalking and that side, that aspect of cybersecurity, but they are not really talking about the hygiene in general. And this stuff is so new that even people who um, are adults are having a hard time catching up with, with all this like what 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 are the best practices right what what is the the best set of behaviors i should use or i should apply to be immune and you know when you start teaching somebody to wash their hands at the age of 40 as an example uh it's kind of too late <laughs> It's like it goes to show, yeah, exactly. And the thing is, it's like we're in the 19th century uh, version or equivalent of uh, hygiene level cybersecurity, if you know what I yeah. mean. And it's just, uh, yeah, trying to teach a 40-year-old to wash his hands. You wouldn't get the concepts. Like, why do I have to do that? And like, I've never had to for most of my life. I think the small and medium-sized business thing is was spot on, too. Um I spent because I think there's a market there. I think there's a niche there for um, cybersecurity consulting. And Absolutely. during, I had six months off for maternity. Uh, paternity. I'm not a mom. I'm a dad. Paternity leave, and I tried to get something going with a business partner. And even with his experience in sales and marketing, it was really, really hard. And people don't see the value in it or the need. And then I was at the um, BC Aware Day. So the BC Aware conference in Vancouver a, couple, a few weeks ago. And um, there was a group of people and some of them do uh, IT consulting and like incident response and cleanup sort of deal uh, on the island. And one of them was had two different anecdotes about local, like small businesses that were completely devastated, run right into the ground, closed uh, because of a cybersecurity incident. Like one of them was a family-run hotel or motel uh, that was a franchise. So they bought into a franchise, and then so you'd go to the, the, you know, the main company's website and book a hotel, one of their franchisees, like in the area where you wanted to stay. Uh, they got hacked 
their computers got breached and all of their credit card data for people who were staying at that one particular hotel were stolen and were being actively used. Then it got traced back to there and the head company kicked them out as a franchisee. So then they weren't on a website. No one could book them. Were they going to create their own website overnight? So like instantly, the next day after that happened, no bookings, just walk-ins, and they, and they couldn't survive. Um, and not only that, because they were found to be, of course, not compliant with uh, PCI, uh, with the way they're handling credit card data, they started having to pay for audits and pay you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a year for all these compliance up. audits to make sure they're doing things right, and they just got run right into the ground because they couldn't afford it. So there's definitely a market there with stories like that where you know you might be a small family-run business and, and don't really have to think about that. Well, sure, you don't need your own CISO in a, in a family business, but you need um, like some sort of consultant that's like helping you out here and there that's spread across all these different orgs. Like There are people who do um, virtual uh, CISO right, for larger companies, but they're not large enough to have their own uh, information security officer. So... There, there's a need for like a virtual security consultant guy. Right, and it actually kind of makes sense that that was another talk. Um, I think it was the uh, it was Gary's panel where they shared the information, you know, the the, the stories uh, from the different CISOs, and yeah. one of the observations was you should not be um, as a CISO, you should not be uh, reporting to like the CTO or CIO because mm-hmm. it's or or CFO even right. It's different organizations do it differently, but but in all these roles, you are kind of you really need to be independent, right? Yeah, yeah. You need oh, more um, authority. Yeah, right. The CIO needs to show you know. Um, product they need to show that the money they're spending in it infrastructure and it projects is giving something back to the business so when the CISO or whatever security officer comes up and says look these things are all full of holes and this didn't have a good uh, threat and risk assessment and the cio is like well uh, this needs to go live in whatever march right um just i'll just sign off on the risk this needs to get done we'll fix it later whereas even if you didn't have any more yeah, even if you didn't have, because they're they're at odds with each other. Both the CISO and the CIO or CTO have different uh, requirements to the business. They're trying to do different things. It makes much more sense if the CISO reports to the CEO or someone in risk management, because mm-hmm. that's where it fits a lot more. Mm-hmm. Well, so that person can bring it to the board level. So that's not because the CIO is on the board, the CISO is not on the board. So the CIO is just like, yeah, everything's good, no problem. Whereas if you have a like a risk officer or, or the CEO that you're reporting to, you can bring that to the board and be like, we don't like these risks. Like we're gonna have to do something different. Or at least you can you can point the risks out, right? And and uh, then of course it's the decision of. The, the board or whoever, yeah, but and not they, just they the are they are aware they know about them. Yeah, and if your CIO is just accepting all this risk, that what, what you're going to go around them and go to the board? 
And if, and if it doesn't this go well, if it doesn't go well, you're out so the door. so close to home, you have no idea. Well, you do have an idea, but <laughs> but it's it's not uh, an unusual it's not an unusual position yeah. to be in at, at all, um, and particularly when you know. And that's something else they brought up in that CISO talk, which is a really good talk. Was that you know don't you're not the office of no. The way I see it, it's. Uh, you're, you're there as security officer to look for a risk and to help the, uh, the board or to assist the board in determining what uh, risks are out there and the consequences, the impacts of the risk that they can allocate resources to, to deal with it. And if they're not willing to deal with it, well, that's on them. Uh, and you, they, sh- they need to know that because... Look at Equifax, for example. If they if they actually list, well, these are the risks you need to look at and these are the risks you need to manage. And if the board said, no, we're not going to bother, well, they can be held liable for that hack that occurred because, you know, they were warned about this and they, they had the ability to take, to take action, but they chose not to. And because the CIO said it or the or or said, no, we can't do this right now because we have this major project, it'll impede this major project uh, or in some way. But, uh, well, impede, I'm using in quotes. The thing is, is that (laughs) we can't see your air quotes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I can imagine. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's a good point, though, and and I think the uh, it's another kind of obstacle to um, having a proper CISO because I feel that the human nature is such that it's easier to, you know, it's like they say, it's easier to beg forgiveness than to gain permission, right? Mm. And it's like if you say, oh, sorry, I didn't know, then you get off the hook more easily than if you do know because somebody has told you, right? Yeah, I saw an article just today that Equifax has increased its security spending budget by 400%. So somebody somebody knew they weren't investing enough in that program. Somebody knew that. And and, it's just, I understand, I don't know how these CISOs are doing it, if they're working in places where people are just accepting the risk and ignoring them on a continual basis. Like, I've left an employer for that reason, which is why I've said on this podcast now like four or five times, (laughs) if you work at a place and they're not putting, if they don't (coughs) care what you say... (coughs) There, there are a lot of places that need people with our talent. If they're just going to ignore you and override you every single time, fucking quit and go somewhere else, right? There's lots of people who are need who need people with our talent. Don't and, say but, I didn't warn you. See you later. Yeah, exactly, right? Because I don't mind being overridden now and again. I understand that um, the CEO and the CIO have information that I don't. I know they're not idiots. They wouldn't get those positions if they were idiots. Um, But, yeah, seeing everything that's going on in the world with cybersecurity, just be like, ah, no, this is okay. Just be like, "Mm, man, why am I here (laughs) is the thing I come to, right? It's like, why am I here? Why are you paying me at all if you're never going to listen to what I say? And I just think that, like, I'm lucky right now. My job isn't like that. I think you're always fighting a bit of that just to prove your point. 
But if you're at a job where that's like that all the time, then uh, I couldn't deal with it. Like I said, I've left a job being in that position and I just don't, I don't, uh, it's not fun. No, it's not fun at all. I was in that position actually. And, uh, it, it was frustrating, very frustrating. That's why I ended up leaving. So, uh, let's, let's quit bitching about our current and past employers because <laughs> some of them are the same. Um, but I have to, I have to say, I, I have to say that things are getting better. Like people are actually starting to listen. Well, me personally now, and uh, that's a good thing. So I think security awareness has a, a bit to play in that. I was at, um, again, that BC aware campaign, on BC aware day in Vancouver and Kevin Mitnick was there and he did sort of like a live hacking demonstration. I'm doing air quotes too. Um, but he was just showing, you know, common tools and, and like bad USB devices and, and how easy it is to get malware passed. Um, he just had a bunch of computers set up, a bunch of things ready to go, a bunch of demos basically showing how easy it was. And there are a lot of people in the audience who weren't, you know, very technical security people. And they're just, you could see it in their faces. They're like, Oh shit. Like it's that easy. Like you just hacked like 10 things in 10 minutes. Like it's that easy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. So I've been thinking about doing that sort of thing. Like, uh, Dom, like the thing you did with the security day with the IOT devices oh, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. I think people need to see that. Like, look, oh, look what do. happens. They look do. what happens when I come near your computer with this USB key. Or I did I mean, a presentation. Look. Actually, I did a few of them, actually, when I was uh, working at the And uh, it really we, got the point I could bleep that across. out, by the way. Oh, yeah. Okay. I can if you want. <laughs> I uh, did a few presentations, and it got the point across. And, and they wanted to see more of that. Like, it uh, really got uh, people's attention. Like, you could tell them everything and everything, but... If you actually show them, that that's that's what they would uh, they would then they would start paying attention. Yeah. Did anyone go to uh, Dominic Vogel's talk? I hadn't had a chance to. That was a good one too. I like that one. What uh, what was it about? It was like the top, you know, five six things to do with your like security program. Basically, um, had a lot of humor in it was good complaining about cios he had like you know quotes from like a stereotypical like idiot cio and things that he'd heard in his career i've i've Didn't never you just say that they were not idiots <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe idiot is the wrong word. i, I like the the shedding light on the dark web have you guys uh, did you guys see that yeah, no, I saw I, that one. That I was a good have, one. Actually, yeah. no, I didn't see that. I was there at your table. To... I saw that one, yeah. Yeah. I didn't have a chance to go. I wanted to go to that one, but uh, there was another one that I went to, but I can't remember what it was. <clears throat> I like that one, and there was a similar talk, um, I don't know, it was last year or the year before, with the same uh, police officer, was it Calgary or something? Yeah, yeah, that's and the one. Just, yeah, they're just very, very like, oh, anti, anti, track all the things, and yeah. Oh, yeah. and we can't, and that, you know what, there was the same sort was of like thing that with that one police, that police chief that did the lunch thing, yeah. was like, well, we need access to all these things, because, and, and we need back doors to all your phones, it's like, no. <laughs> it doesn't work no. like that. And, you know what, um, that's what everybody's saying I don't want to mention names, it, let's just it, say 
uh, Village BC uh, was at the table and he was just like, you know, made a very good point. It's like they lost this privilege yep. after everything that we heard that was going on with, you know, after the Snowden leaks and everything else. And like that's and the, the NSA leaks of all these utilities and tools that they have with and exploits it's black and, and white. Like, if you've, you, if you you've give lost this privilege access. now. Yeah. yeah. And if you, if, if you give the police access a, a back door, which they've been screaming about for God knows how long. And, uh, and you know, you, you, you actually, they get their back doors. Well, guess what? You give the bad, bad guys back doors as well. It's black and white. I mean, you if you give the police something, you're going to give everybody else that same thing as well. I don't think they need it. My personal no, thought is that, like we all know, with physical access, uh, all bets are off. So I, they don't need a back door where they can look at what my phone's doing at any given time just because they feel like it. If they have my phone because I've been charged or under arrest or whatever – and they need it, and they think there's something on it, they can get it. It may not be easy, but it's always going to be possible yeah, for a local good. Good. exploit or something to happen when, when you have physical access to the device. And they could use traditional investigative techniques like they've always done to, to get whatever they need. I'd, right. rather, the- I'd rather them require that I give my password up. Yeah, well, that makes more sense. Then have a back They door. have a warrant. This is... You, we have a warrant. Uh, we compel you to, for you to give us your password, like because it's been signed by a judge and there is due process. But backdoors, no way, no way. Well, there, there is the, there is the issue of self-incrimination, right? Because password is information that uh, that you have to tell them something, right? So you can always say no. Uh, the, the other thing is. Um, Technically savvy criminals will be able to just move the stuff. You know, there have been these cases where people were crossing borders and, you know, they were asked to whatever, uh, give up passwords or unlock the phones. If you are a criminal crossing border, it's so easy these days to temporarily move your data encrypted to the cloud, wipe the phone, be completely clean, and then you know ten minutes later after you are you go through the checkpoint, just download it back to your phone, right? Yeah, so not VPN only is it easy, it's automatic. Yeah. If you're using Google, for example, you can just add a Google account and it goes, Hey Mark, do you wanna Load all your shit and apps and yep. even data for your apps onto this new phone. Yep. Done. Yeah. I've actually... Yeah, you don't even have to cross with the phone. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. So I, have, I haven't phone. done this myself, but I've, I've heard and I've seen it done where, you know, in Android in the last, up to the last few versions at least, there's a little icon on top right hand corner where you can switch users to a different profile. I use that on my tablet, for example. I have a kid's profile on mine because I don't want them... You know, on my Plex server or Netflix and watching stuff they shouldn't be, and and I, don't, I want them on their YouTube. I wonder if not, they can hack. Not that. seeing all the videos of things. Oh, they can. <laughs> but but even like a quick switch user, that that allows you hand that over to you know border services, and they look at it and they're like, yeah, okay, he's not. There's not much in here. He's okay. Go. They have no idea and, how and, tech and works. I guess the point for me is not to make the uh, 
law enforcement job harder or anything, but it all goes down to the intelligence work, right? Mm. I mean, it's about maintaining a balance, right, between people's freedoms and liberties and the ability of police to do their job, right? Right, and I could imagine that, and, you know, speak up if you you don't want to talk about it or anything like it, but, you know, I could imagine someone coming from a country where those sort of freedoms weren't available to them to see stuff like this happening in the country they moved to to be free, a bit of a piss off. (laughs) You wouldn't be hinting at somebody like me. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm talking about you. Yeah, or yeah, my parents. totally. My parents, it's, 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 Dom's Dom's parents, same thing. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Yeah, it's exactly. It's it's really, you know. And the weird thing is that I've been talking about this stuff for like 20 years now. And if I said something of this sort in 1995, people would just like, ah, come on, <laughs> you know. And today people are much more sensitive to these issues and realize that um, we are on a trend where we are giving the state more and more power that is not... It can be easily abused. It's not that it is being abused right at the moment, but it can be, you know, by changing government change in whatever it can be very easily abused Mm. yeah like look at mccarthyism Mm. in the states right if they had access to everyone's metadata in a data center in that the nsa was running in the middle of the desert they'd be they would have been using it they just Mm -hmm. didn't have it totally yeah it was it's pretty crazy the amount of stuff that like i listening to that police chief talk i understand where he's coming from and and their job is being made more difficult um, I don't know what the answer is, but giving up everyone's privacy to not, Big yeah. Brother is not the answer. Like, and you're never going to get it. Like, you can sit there and go to conferences every day yeah. all across Canada. You're never going to get yeah. backdoor access to everyone's communications and all their devices. You know, I have a USB stick that's encrypted that's sitting here that's got stuff on it just because USB sticks are easy to lose or steal or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to give USB that stick. to somebody. Yeah. I don't want someone to be able to get it. And, yeah, it, it, it drives me nuts sometimes when they just keep pushing this and pushing this and forget it. You're not getting it. It's like uh, like the screaming child that's just, I want that toy, I want that we toy. Will not, like, we yeah. will not reward bad behavior. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. I'm not gonna, uh, not gonna. I was just reading a pamphlet today about uh, I'm taking vacation in, uh, in uh, like, working holiday kind of in uh, Tofino, it's beautiful, and uh, picked up a pamphlet about bears, you know, and uh, how not to reward uh, the behavior that can lead to future problems, that's Mm. exactly what it is, right? Mm. You don't give a bear a piece of food. (laughs) That's right, don't feed, do not feed the bear. Do not feed the bear, (laughs) Russian or not Russian. (laughs) I'm not or, Russian, by the way. <laughs> People will hear the accent and be like, oh, he made a Soviet Russia joke. It sounds like it. Yeah. No. I, I can't tell the difference, so I'm sure most Canucks can't tell the difference. Um, that, um, I was just looking up 
uh, that presentation I was talking about that Dominic Vogel did. And it looks like all the presentation slide decks are on uh, the Reboot Conference website now. Yep. Oh, excellent, yep. excellent. I'm awesome. just looking so at he was it. calling it, not the idiot, idiot CIO, but the know-it-all CIO. <laughs> but yeah, that's that was a good one. I like that one. It's basically like your first 100 days as a CISO. But um, a lot of it isn't terribly uh, different than what I've seen and what I'm doing. It's nice doing something, doing all the research, being in in the security realm for a while and then being given sort of, you know, the role of, okay, build this security program and be the head security guy in this organization. It's nice to go somewhere and hear other people talk about, this is the things you should be doing. Yep. And look over at my boss and see him look at me and be like, okay, it gives I'm, you, I'm doing, it I'm gives doing you validation. The, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm doing all the things. Uh, has anybody been to the um, uh, biometrics presentation? That was interesting. Uh, the the teledildonics one or the one about the giving blowjobs over the internet one? Uh, I think it was the giving blowjobs. <laughs> I think it's the second one. I, yeah, I didn't yeah, see it, it but was, I, I heard about it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was with a girl there and she's, uh, they had the one guy who was, uh, owned a biometrics firm and then the other, the girl there was the one, we need to burn that all down and she would probably, I think she, she would say stuff like that. <laughs> so, but, um, and it was interesting. It's, uh, at, at the beginning, uh, and this is, this is another point I'm going to make later on, but, uh, the, at the beginning it was, uh, you had the guy who was for biometrics cause he obviously has a financial interest in it. Uh, but the girl, uh, she was like, no, no biometrics whatsoever. She's totally against it. Got to burn down the databases, all that stuff. And, uh, and then, but then, then the conversation started becoming more. It wasn't. It wasn't a, a debate or an argument, which I thought it was going to be. But then it uh, became. You know, they started agreeing with each other. Uh, like she said, we got. She was probably uh, the 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 anti biometrics girl. That was very very. She was she was just like fanatical about no biomat and she just kept going on and everybody started agreeing with her in some sort of way or it didn't turn out to be a debate it didn't turn out to be an argument uh, which I thought uh, going in so and I I've been seeing that a lot in the conferences there wasn't uh, uh, I didn't see two 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 sides of the same story and which was unfortunate because I'd like to see that more often right. We we did in the uh, the dark web one, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure we did. And actually, Jerry, your wife made a very very good point. With like, like if you think about the language that we're using when you're calling the what other people were calling it the surface web. I've heard it called surface surface web and deep web a lot more often than dark web, mm-hmm. light web because of that. Right? You're right. you're you're taking this environment that has sort of like a, a privacy and anonymity built into it, and you're just calling it dark. And like, and dirty, and this this pedophiles and drugs there, and like give it a name that the people don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, talk so about that, that people, and it's like almost as if they're trying to keep people away from it. Right. They need but, to, but, they you need know, to be more cognizant of how they're wording these things. That's um, well. Now we are really, you know, getting philosophical and stuff. But, <laughs> but it's really interesting because um, it's the 
it's really the psychology of language, right? And how even advertisers use that and, and governments. And, uh, you know, we, we just um, hear these terms like dark web, like whatever. Mm. Um, I can't really come up with a good example right now. But um, it's it creates emotions in people and affects their... their um, um stance affects their their acceptance or refusal of a thing right and um it's um in in the field of cybersecurity if if you apply it um you can really uh, sway public opinions you know like the whole um the whole snowden debate right is yeah. he a hero or is he a traitor, right? It, de it depends on who is talking, but it people are using uh, these terms has, right? and, and they they try to to kind of... It's, it's all tribal and uh, partisan and people don't have the opportunity to step back and kind of look at it neutrally. You know, which is like what what a good scientist would do, right? But uh, we are not being uh, asked to, to be scientists. Yeah. We are being asked to vote this way or that way, Pick either with side, our votes yeah. or or with our money. Mm -hmm. How one interesting thing, and there was a talk last year, sort of like about uh, the dark web, deep web sort of thing, and it was positioned from uh, the anonymity privacy standpoint, particularly like these technologies were being used by dissidents in countries who needed to hide, and there wasn't enough of that in that conversation. It seemed to me as though, you know, the anti-dark web sort of people were sort of uh, leaning towards, well, we don't know what's happening there, and it's all drugs and pedophiles and bad things, and, and sort of leaving it up to that uh, same woman who did the the blowjob thing was was on that panel saying that you She's know she's also least, on the biomagics panel too. So, yeah, being yeah. like there's um, that these things are going to happen anyway, and I don't necessarily think it's happening more because this technology is available. But this technology does have good uses, and I think that particular discussion didn't have enough of that being sort of driven home. That there are people. Who, it was a little bit, but not enough. Like there wasn't a, someone there saying, you know, there are people who cannot say that, like even having the types of discussions we're having right now cannot do it. Right. And, mm. and you know, I, they don't have access to the internet unfettered, like people in China or whatever, right? They need well, you have these, these regimes that are very oppressive <clears throat> and uh, like China, for example, they, right, they yeah. would... You know, they keep have constant surveillance on their people. They have this great firewall that they won't let their people, like, access Facebook or Google. And, uh, or you got even more repressive regimes like um, uh, North Korea. So the dark rep is great for that. You know, I mean, if right. uh, they want to say, uh, say something that, they, that needs to be said, then the dark web is, is a great tool for that. But it, at the flip side, it is being used uh, nefariously by pedophiles and other cyber criminals, and uh, it's something yeah. that has to be dealt with. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, but that's you know that was the question that I asked when that when that um, 
uh, chief of police associations, whatever his title was, right? Yeah, like, CAC. What is the... No, no, no. It was the Calgary police oh, guy. Oh, the Calgary police. Uh, uh, what's more important for a function, functioning society? Eliminating pedophiles or, you know, uh, child pornographers or eliminating democracy? You know? Yeah. And that, that uh, you know, and I totally don't buy his, his answer that both are equally important. Um, I should say keep democracy, right? But that's a bit, you know, I mean, if, if he's making that argument, I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's kind of fishy. I mean, we could still live in a democracy and deal with child pornographers and pedophiles. I mean... It's, well, uh, yeah, but when you, when you talk about the, the the technology aspect of it, right, and they say, oh, this technology, the deep web, is used for this sort of thing, and therefore we should ban it, for example, right? You are kind of making that binary decision. You are either for or white, against yeah. that technology. And I am saying that I'd rather live in a society... <laughs> You know, like they say, there are no, um, was it Uganda, Kenya? It was one of the African countries. And it's not very recent, too. It's like way back when they said um, there are no gays in countries. Oh, it's like so Chechnya, like, isn't it? Right. Yeah, it's Chechnya. No, it was, it was in, in, Africa, in an African country. Well, of course they are not, because if they were, they would be hanged. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the, the point I am trying to make is um, even in you know, forget the fact that in Western societies considered uh, uh, you know um, non-standard sexual orientation a crime right, until not very long time ago but the point is that what is criminal is um, changes from country to country, right? It changes between times, like the, the homosexuality being a perfect example, right? It was criminal until like 50 years ago. And, um, and really, you can't wipe it out. You can't wipe out behaviors that people do because they are people. But you can, you can wipe out democracy with, you know, when you work on it long enough, you totally can wipe it out. I, <laughs> yeah, it happens. I mean, <laughs> ask me how I know. Uh, <laughs> well, look at what's happening in Turkey right now. I mean, oh, uh, oh. And like that's, a, that's like a huge ticking bomb because oh, yeah. Turkey is a member of NATO. Yeah. So if, Anyone retaliates against Turkey because of whatever they are doing, uh, how does the rest of the NATO countries react, right? That's, that could, that's that a could real potentially break up NATO. Well, I, possibly. I don't yeah. know. Or they Who kick knows? Turkey out. Oh, yeah. Or they kick Turkey out, yeah. yeah. I, um, uh, I posted a link um, in our little chat on the, for the for the podcast about yeah. the uh, democracy index, and you can see how fewer and fewer since uh, since two thousand eight. 
it was the best year for uh, democracy in the last uh, 10 years or so, 12 mm. years. And uh, the fewer and fewer countries live in democracies. And uh, based on that, are we going to be seeing more uh, uses of the dark net uh, because of uh, uh, eroding democracies? My bet would be yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Same here. And that's, and that's expected. You know, it's like, you know, I, I felt free 10 years ago, but not so much now. So I'm going to be taking more actions to protect uh, my, uh, my activities. It's not only that, if you look at, you know, like everyone should be using a VPN. Everybody should be using Tor or something to anonymize themselves. Like what's going to happen when it probably won't be many elections from now where somebody will have a presidential or a prime ministerial candidate's web surfing history their whole life. Mm. It looks totally, happening, po- it looks totally happening possible. Russia right now with uh, yep, Navalny. It's totally possible. Yeah. So it like you know you could see everything that this person posted on like Twitter and Facebook publicly, but even like non-public stuff. You know the fact that your ISP is keeping logs of everything that you're doing and like where are those going? Are they deleting them? Who are they sending them to somebody? Well, in elections, you could have uh, one candidate hacking another candidate. We had a lot to discuss, so uh, this was actually a particularly long one. So that was uh, it's awesome. So. Looking forward to uh, future broadcasts and uh, and thanks, Jerry, for uh, for joining us today. And well, it was my we'll pleasure. It was it was real fun. Yeah, that's good. We'll have you back yeah. then for sure. Absolutely. So anyway, thank you very much, everyone. Uh, have a good night, and uh, we'll catch you in the next episode. Good night. Good night. Good night. That was the Two Drop Tables podcast for this week. If you've got comments or feedback, you can visit our website at 2droptables.ca. That's the number 2, droptables.ca. There you can read the show notes and leave a comment on this episode. Or you can email feedback at 2droptables.ca. You can subscribe to us via iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or anywhere else you find fine podcasts. Just go to our website for convenient links or search your podcasting app for 2 Drop Tables. 